Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. This weekend we're going off topic and um, there's a reason. Uh, We have some people in our church, more I know um, than I can probably count, that are just going through some difficult things. Um, we've, we've had a couple of uh, suicides over the last couple of weeks uh, from uh, members of families here that call us home and, and others with some difficult diagnosis uh, from a doctor. And, and as I've just been watching all of this kind of go down and, and carrying a burden in prayer for so many that are going through a tough season, I just feel... Uh, this, this really strong request welling up in me as I go to the Lord in prayer for everybody. And that is that the Holy Spirit would dispense a measure of peace that surpasses all understanding, no matter how bad the storm is. And so I wanna, I wanna preach on peace today. And the title of the message is His Peace in Your Storm. And we're going to walk through Acts chapter 27, a big portion of this chapter. It's a story uh, about a season in Paul's life where he'd been arrested and he was on his way to Rome, hopping from ship to ship, and the storms kept getting worse and worse and worse as he did. And it's such an incredible picture of what peace is supposed to look like as the storms of life are raging around us. Now, as we jump into this, before we read Acts chapter 27, I kind of want to give you two different definitions of the word peace. What I would say is an Old Testament definition of peace, and then the New Testament definition of peace. Here's what I would say is the Old Testament definition of peace, an accord which guarantees a lack of fighting. When the Bible talks about Solomon having peace on all his borders in his lifetime, it was because he negotiated these peace accords with the kings of the neighboring countries that surrounded him. So he had peace, an accord that guaranteed a lack of fighting. Now, the New Testament definition of peace is what I believe is God's goal for us as his children, and that's this, a strong sense of calm no matter what. A strong sense of calm no matter what. Now, most of us think we actually have a say in which kind of peace we get to have. We think we can just say to God, hey, I choose peace number one. I would love the kind of peace that guarantees a lack of fighting in my life. And what we're actually saying to God is this. I want a life without storms. That's the kind of peace that I want. The problem with that is Jesus made it very clear there are going to be storms in life. He said, there are going to be trials and tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, it's exciting that he says, I've overcome the world, but never forget that he said, hey, there's going to be difficulty in this life. So what I would say is this this message is supposed to serve as kind of like a calibrating uh, sermon in our lives to kind of remind us. The question isn't whether or not we'll have storms. That is not up for debate. Jesus shut that one down and said, there are going to be storms. It's going to be tough. The bigger conversation is, will you have peace as you walk through them? So let's walk through 
Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 13. So you have the background. Paul in, the, in verse 10 has said, hey, I've been on several boats. The storms are getting worse and worse. This was a time of year where all of the sailors knew you don't go to sea. Okay, there are two months in the year where they knew you just don't go to sea because the conditions are worse than any other time of year. And Paul is saying, hey, I don't think we should go. I feel pretty strongly about this. This isn't going to end well for any of us if we go. All right, let's pick up in verse 13. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. Here's point number one as we talk about peace. Peace is tested in moments of change. Here you have this captain who had probably been sailing for a long time. The weather was supposed to be worse than it was. He sees that the wind is lightly blowing and he thinks, hey, we've got this. We've done far worse than this. Let's head out. Let's set sail. And he goes on his journey and we will see how bad things get. But when we see the weather changed abruptly, that phrase right there reminds me of several times in my life where things were going just fine. Everything seemed okay. And then in a moment, everything turned. And I went from feeling like I was in a great season to feeling like I was entering into one of the biggest storms of my entire life. Why? Because things can change abruptly, right? Just like that. Now, I want to speak to a type of person. This isn't for everyone who's experiencing a storm season right now, but this is for a few of us who may be experiencing the storm for a particular reason. And that reason is a word. It's the word pride. Now, if you say, well, I'm in a storm season right now. Am I going through it because I'm walking in pride? If you're even asking the question, it lets you know you're not. Okay? It's, this is for those who go, I'm in a storm season, but it's not because I have pride. That's not me. Uh, yes, it is. If you won't even check to see if it's you, it's you. Okay? And remember this. Pride always precedes the departure of peace. Those who walk in pride always struggle to have a sense of peace. I remember back when I was probably around 27, I was the young adults pastor at Gateway in Dallas. And I was at the time in what I would call back then a hot streak as a preacher. Now looking back, it was a test God was giving me. And, and I was sitting on the front row, worship was finishing, and they were playing the, the pre-sermon roll-in. And I was kind of, you know, I had my mojo, and so I'm walking up the steps to the stage, and I said this in my heart, I got this. I'm about to drop bombs in this message. This is what I'm thinking in my head, just saying, not, I wasn't saying it to anyone except to myself. How many of you know God's always eavesdropping on the conversation you're having with yourself? So I'm kind of a little bit arrogantly prancing like a peacock to the pulpit going, I got this, and I'll never forget what I felt like the Holy Spirit said in that moment. Well, if you've got this, I can leave. I'm going to take off. Good luck. And I'm telling you, I went on to preach the most confusing message I've ever preached in my life. It was almost like the Lord put a spirit of craziness on me. I was nervous. I was freaking out. And here's looking back, here's what I feel like the Lord was teaching me. What it's like to try and pull off your calling without his help. Listen, 
This is what pride tries to do. Pride says, I got this. I got this. My boat is unsinkable. I got this. God, even if you have me in this storm for a long time, it's okay. I'm tough enough to handle it. My ship is unbreakable. Listen, if you ever talk like that to God, you need to know one thing. He about to break your ship. It's going to happen every time. Okay? Pride says, I've got this. Peace doesn't talk like that. Peace talks like this. God's got this. Pride says, I've got this. God says, I've got this. When pride enters the conversation, peace leaves the communicator. Why? Because pride is based on me. It's based on my strength, not his. And there are times some of us are walking in pride, and that's why we are experiencing the resistance we're experiencing. Look in verse 15. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Easy verse to read right over, but let's paint the picture. Okay, the storm that they're in, sailors had a term for called Eurocliden, and it means typhoon, okay? A nor'easter. This was a typhoon. This wasn't like some kind of big waves, kind of, this was a typhoon, people, okay? This was a massive storm. And here the sailors are trying to sail into the headwind, directly into the wind, And the storm was so bad that finally they threw up their hands and said, it doesn't even make sense to do this anymore. Let's let the wind blow us wherever it takes us. Okay, this is a really important principle for those of us who from time to time have a tendency to kind of walk in in pride and think we can do this and we're experiencing a headwind. And here's what we say when people like me ask, hey, how's everything going? Oh man, I'm just experiencing a lot of resistance. The enemy is just resisting me right now. Okay, let me help all of us understand something. Not every headwind is from the devil. And I can prove it scripturally. God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. Now, when the enemy opposes you, he's like a linebacker that comes to bury his helmet in your chest to try and break your sternum and put you out of the game forever. When God opposes you, he's still like that linebacker who's going to tackle you. But the great thing about God opposing you is once he tackles you, he kind of wraps his arms around you as you're laid out, about to hit the ground, wraps his arms around you, gently lays you on the ground, kisses you on the forehead. That's how God opposes you, okay? The devil is trying to take you out of the game. He opposes you from a different place in a different way than God opposes. Not every headwind is from the enemy. Sometimes God is the one resisting us. And anytime God is resisting me, there's only one reason, my pride. Because God opposes, he resists the proud. Now, the sailors finally get smart enough, throw their hands up and say, it's not good for us to keep trying to go in, in against the wind. Here's one of the ways you know you have peace when your hands don't have to be on the steering wheel of your life. This is one of the fastest ways to experience peace in your life, is to take your hands off the steering wheel. Here's the important principle these sailors teach us. When it becomes fruitless to struggle, it is wisdom to yield. There are times God asked us to struggle in the midst of a storm. But sometimes, some of us are struggling against God not with God. How do we know it's become fruitless to struggle? Very simple answer to the question. 
when you're wrestling with God over what you want, not over what he wants to give you. Jacob wrestled with God. What were they wrestling over? A blessing that God wanted to give. God was going to give that blessing. That's a different struggle than when we wrestle with God and it's over what we want. If that's you, if you find yourself in a wrestling match with God over your will, your way, don't forget this one-liner. When it's fruitless, the minute it becomes fruitless to struggle, it is wisdom to take your hands off the steering wheel and yield to the Lord. Verse 18, let's keep going. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days. If you're reading your Bible, underline many days. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun. In other words, the storm was so bad during the day, they couldn't even see the sun. The storm was so bad that it blotted out the stars at night. Until at last, all hope was gone. Here's point number two. Peace is tested in months, not just moments. Aren't you encouraged? Because some of us are in the middle of a storm. And see, we have expected that the storm would be quick, that it would be over quickly. And some of us are frustrated with God because the storm is lasting longer than we expected. This is why we're talking about this. Because if you establish that as your expectation, you will become frustrated with God. But listen to me closely. Any test that God gives you is more about the outcome than the amount of time it takes for you to complete the test. Just ask the Israelites after they left Egypt. God didn't say this test is going to take 40 years. He never intended it to take that long. Go back and read it. They made it take that long. It was about an outcome. Preston, are you saying that some of the storms of my life can be expedited? If I will take the test and pass it the way God wants, I'm 100% saying that. Not all of them, but there are some tests. When, you, when the outcome God desires is the outcome you give him, the storm comes to an end. Again, that's not all of them, but that is definitely some of them. The longer the test goes, remember this, the greater the chances for what? Fear. The longer we're in a storm, the higher the chances we will begin to experience fear. But here's one of the most encouraging things about peace. Peace is a weapon best used when it looks like you're about to lose. One of my favorite things to do when the enemy tries to come and scare me, kind of drum up the horrible you know, situation, make it worse, scare me to death. One of my favorite things to do is to take peace and use it as a weapon. That's one of the reasons it's mentioned in Ephesians 6. Peace is a weapon best used against your enemy when it looks like he's about to win and you're about to lose. One of the things he's trying to do is to scare you into not even playing the game, entering into the fight. The longer the length of the storm, the more peace you're going to need. Keep going to verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Now the sailors are on a hunger strike. They're freaking out. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. I love Paul. I love it. They're, they're in a typhoon. And this guy is walking around like this. Told y'all. Should have listened to me in verse 10. Should have read your Bible. Hadn't been written yet. Should have listened to me. I told you this isn't going to end well for us. You would have avoided all of this damage and loss. 
And he changes his tone in verse 22. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Isn't that so encouraging? Doesn't that just sound like God, though? Because we kind of expect that God will say, hey, not only are you going to survive this storm, but everything's going to be okay. You're not going to lose this ship. I'm going to give you eight more ships just to say, great job for making it through the storm. That's what we wish God would say. But what he actually says is, hey, good news. You're going to survive the storm, but it's going to cost you everything. You're like, I don't know how to take that quite. If I were to be honest, I don't like what you just said. Well, Preston, you're going to survive, but the ship is going to go down. Now, why did he have this confidence? Verse 23, for last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood where? Right beside me, Paul says. That brings us to point number three. Peace comes from his presence. Peace comes from the presence of Almighty God. If you're here today and you'd say, man, it's been a long time since I've experienced any peace, here'd be one of my first questions. How long has it been since you've been alone in the presence of the Lord? The greater your storm, the higher the raging waves, the more non-negotiable it needs to be that you have consistent time alone in the presence of the Lord. Listen to me. You will go crazy without it because peace comes from his presence. Now, sometimes when we get through these storms and we don't feel like God is as present as he should be, we can say things like this. Well, God, why are you abandoning me right now? What, what's the problem? This is the worst time for you to be gone. It's like you're leaving me on the side of the road for dead. Where have you gone? And here's how God responds. Oh, Preston, I didn't leave you. I promised I would never leave you or forsake you. I did not get up from the table, son. You did. It's been 11 days since we've been alone together. Want to know why you feel crazy and you have no peace? Because you haven't gotten alone with me. Son, you can't get peace at the grocery store. You can't get peace from fishing. I would argue that point technically, but... Because I think he's in the boat when I'm fishing. But his point is this. Preston, peace comes from my presence. And you've been out of my presence for too long. It's just one of the ways he says, come away with me. Come be with me. That's where you're going to find this peace. Here's one of the, the things that happens when we're not consistently in God's presence in the midst of a storm. We, look, we will eventually start staring too much at our problems. This is one of the beautiful things about coming into God's presence consistently as a son or daughter of God. I remember back when my kids, uh, my boys were young, we used to have staring contests. And my boys figured out that uh, I can do magical things with my eyes and keep them open for long periods of time. And so they learned that to beat me, they had to team up on me. So I'd get into a staring contest with my youngest, Press, and Tyler, my oldest son, would get behind Press and start snapping, start making loud noises, start screaming, start trying to get me to flinch, do all of these things. And many times it would work. And then we'd start a wrestling match and I would pin them down and remind them they cheated and I win, you lose. It's, they're going to counseling, don't worry. 
It sounds silly, but I'm actually pointing out the, de- the devil's silly attempt to distract you in the exact same way in the middle of a storm. You go into God's presence and you're trying to fix your gaze on your heavenly father and here he is around you snapping, trying to bring things to your memory, scare you, make the waves sound nasty. He's trying to freak you out. Listen, we've got to get away in God's presence because we'll never have peace if we can't stop staring at our problems. And the fastest way to stop staring at your problems is to get alone with the Lord and stare at his face. Because peace is the privilege of those with proper focus. I will never have peace when I'm focused on what God wants me to pay no attention to. Only when I fix my gaze on the Father will I find true peace. Now, from time to time I hear people say this. Having done all to stand, stand. Okay, They totally rip a little... Uh, half sentence out of two sentences and really are misapplying a scripture, you know, and what they're saying is, I've done everything else, I'm just going to stand. I'm going to ask them, what do you do when you go in to be with the Lord? You're going through all this tough stuff. Man, I just go stand in the presence of the Lord. Okay, that's great, but that's not the goal. The goal of going into God's presence isn't to stand there, it's to stare while you're there. It's to fix your gaze in such a way that you get so distracted by all that comes with him that you can't even notice what's going on around you. That's the goal. That is the goal. And when we get into his presence, that is what happens. But listen, the evidence of fear, when you get scared, when you start staring at all of these problems and you become afraid, the evidence of fear reveals the absence of peace. It always will. This is why perfect love casts out all fear. Because once fear is cast out, there is room for peace. But fear and peace can never coexist in the same heart. They can't. So God says, listen, perfect love will cast all that fear out, making room for peace. But you need to stock up on the peace that I give you. But here's my question for you. What do you do when you get scared? When the enemy starts trying to freak you out, get you focused on all the problems, on all of the needs, on how it's impossible for this storm to end, how it just can't happen the way God told you it would happen. He gets you all worked up and scared. What do you do? Well, Preston, I pray. Well, that's great, but let's get even more specific. When my kids were young and they'd wake up in the middle of the night with a nightmare, screaming in their bedroom, what do our kids do when they're five years old and they have a bad dream? Where do they go? They run to mommy and daddy's bed, right? My kids would run right to my room, jump in my bed without asking, okay? As if they owned the place. They'd jump into my bed, they'd snuggle up next to me, okay? And what would happen? They would sleep like champs. Why? Because they learn my presence was more powerful than all of their fears. They slept like babies. Now, daddy didn't because they were kicking me in the face all night. But they slept like babies. Why? Because they learned the lesson all children need to learn, that your father's presence is more powerful than all of your fears. Run into his presence. If you're in a difficult storm, don't make excuses why it's been several days since you've been alone with the Lord. Get away with him, and you will find the peace you're looking for. Psalm 16, verse 7 
says this, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. Why? For he is right beside me. If you're going through it, jump in daddy's bed. Chase after him more than you ever have before. And I promise you, you'll experience a peace you never have before. Paul has confidence because he was experiencing the comforting presence of the Lord because of the angel that God had sent to him. Keep going in verse 24. The angel says to Paul, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, Paul says, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. Such a great verse right there. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. There's that encouragement again that Paul's famous for. Hey, we're all going to survive, but the ship is going to be shipwrecked in the middle of nowhere. Okay, listen. Where was this confidence coming from? It wasn't just the presence. It was the word of the Lord the angel came to deliver. That's point number four. Peace comes from his, God's, word. Paul says something really important that we can't look over. Once God speaks to him, he says, take courage for I believe God. I think some of us are experiencing a lack of peace, not because we don't have a word from the Lord, but because we've stopped believing what he said. Let me give you an example. God told you you were going to be a mom. He said, you're going to be a mother. And you thought that meant within two to three years, you'd have a baby running around the house. And it's been nine and a half years. And you believed it and you held on to it for the first couple of years, but the longer it goes, the more tempting it's become to doubt what God spoke to you. Let me encourage you. As the storm gets worse and keeps continuing on much longer than you expected, now more than ever, you must hold on to the word God has given you. Now, one of the things that we see, not in Acts 27, but in the greater part of the story, if you go back to Acts 23, this is actually not the first time that God says to Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. And this brings up something that we all need to remember. Confirmation is one of the sweetest gifts God gives us. Do you realize that God does not expect you to, to you know, grope around and find your way where he's leading you to go? He wants you to know that you know that you know. Confirmation is, the one of, is one of the ways, one of the best ways that he does that. Some of the biggest decisions in my life, God has given me the most confirmation for. Why? Because peace is confirmed through another word. But technically, it's conceived in the first word. So if you're in Acts 27, I want you to go back to Acts 23, verse 9, and I want you to see, I'm going to jump down to verse 11, where God speaks to Paul that he's going to make it. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. When God says you must do something, you need to trust he's going to make it happen. When he says, I need you to do this, we need to stay out of the way. He's going to make it happen no matter how bad the storm seems that's getting in our way of that actually happening. God comes to Paul and he says, hey, you are going to Rome. So why in the middle of a typhoon is Paul the only one in the ship not freaking out 
I'll tell you how. Because he was the only one in the ship. God had spoken multiple times to about making it all the way to Rome. Listen, I can tell you from experience, I was 18 years old the first time I felt like God told me I would plant this church. I was nearly 34 by the time I planted it. In those nearly 16 years of my life, the Lord gave multiple confirmations that this was what I was supposed to do with my life. Now looking back, I understand why he confirmed it so many times. Because those first three to four years were gonna be so much worse than I expected. And I wanted to quit multiple times. And there were some days the only thing keeping me from quitting in the middle of the storm were the words God had given me years prior. Listen, if you're going through something, if you have a big decision to make, I am begging you with everything that's in me, don't make the decision. Find out what God wants and do that. Don't choose the better of two options. I'm at my best when I'm seeking after God, asking him, what is your will? Not trying to fulfill mine. Listen, Paul had a word from the Lord and in the middle of a horrific storm, he's got peace. Why? Because God had spoken. And so many times I have people say to me, well, Preston, I need a word like that. I need a new word, they'll say. I need a new word. How do I get a new word? Well, let me just tell you something. Why would God give you a new word you want him to give you if you won't steward his written word, which he's already given you? One of the fastest ways to get a word from the Lord is to get into his word. Think about this. This is just practical. If, if, if you're the God of the universe and you, you have the word to give, who makes the most likely candidate to receive a word from you? Someone who doesn't prize the words you've already spoken or someone who is addicted to the words you've already spoken? Listen. There's some things God wants to speak to you about where you are right now from this book. But even better news than that, if you'll prioritize his written word, I promise you, he'll give you new words all the time because you're showing yourself to be someone who prizes his voice. This leads us to the last point as we talk about peace. Real peace isn't picky. Real peace isn't picky. Flip over to Philippians 4 if you have your Bible and you put a marker there. Paul writes really eloquently about this idea of peace, pickiness, and contentment in just a couple of verses. Philippians 4 verse 10 says, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, whether with plenty or little. Here's what Paul is brilliantly doing. He's giving us a definition for a very important word in each of our lives. It's the word contentment. And here's a great definition for this word contentment. It is the ability to have peace without anything changing. How many of us are waiting to be content until God gives us everything we're asking for? Like, I'll be content once God, you know, he, he fulfills my, my wish list. 
Like that's when I'll be content. And only then will I be content. But God's got to do this, this, and this. That's not contentment. Okay, that's an ultimatum. Real contentment is the ability to have peace even when nothing changes and the storm continues to rage on. That's what real peace looks like. Even when you're not getting everything you're hoping you would get. Let's keep going. Verse 39, these last couple verses as the story fully unfolds. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Okay. This is one of the things we need to remember about peace. When you're looking for God's peace, you have to give up the right to be so picky. Okay, here's what I mean. Because some of us, when we get into these storms and we start losing things we never wanted to give up, we have a tendency to start talking like this to God. Look what you're costing me. Look what this storm has cost me. Are you happy? The ship has gone down. Look what this has cost me. And here's how I think God responds to that. Preston, instead of looking at what this storm has cost you, why don't you focus on what I've used this storm to bring you? Don't focus on what it's cost you. Focus on what it's brought you. Preston, you don't know how to swim. And the ship has gone down. And the reason I let the ship go down is so you would survive. You see that little thing floating in the water? Son, what you call a plank, I call a flotation device. Instead of griping to me about the ship going down, why don't you celebrate as you float safely to shore holding onto the plank you used to call a boat? See, but some of us, we've been in a storm so long that we've begun to believe the lie that the longer we're in the storm, the more entitled we are to a heroically extravagant rescue. So here we are floating, don't know how to swim. The waves are battering us. And because we feel God's made us go through this storm for so long, we're sitting there going, bring me the helicopter. I deserve to be extravagantly rescued. Like you should restore eight ships, 10 ships to me. We run the risk of drowning by waiting for this extravagant rescue rather than just grabbing onto the plank. Preston, what are you even talking about? Well, let's just bring this home for you. God told you you were going to be married. And it's taken 10 years longer than you expected. And the longer you wait, the longer your list for Prince Charming. And you've begun to believe that you are entitled to a perfect man, a perfect woman. And so you will risk drowning, AKA never being married, because you're willing to wait for the helicopter to rescue you. 
and it's causing you to overlook the plank God has right in front of you to safely get you to shore. While that man or that woman might not be the fulfillment of everything on your list, it just might be the fulfillment of everything on God's list for you. Peace isn't picky. One of the reasons some of us don't have any peace is because we'd rather be picky than have peace. We'd rather get what we want and get it our way. I will never have peace if I'm willing to drown for that which I want that God does not want me to have. Some people have gotten so focused on how they'll get to the shore that they don't even care anymore if they get there. And that's a dangerous place to be because real peace is not concerned with how. The peace that passes all understanding doesn't care if it's a miracle or the healing from a doctor. Real peace doesn't care if it's my dream job or a job that just takes care of all of my family's needs. Real peace doesn't get picky. Do you remember the story when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat and they get into this huge storm and all the disciples are running around on the top of the boat, the top of the ship, and they're, they're freaking out, right? And they run down to the bottom of the boat and they wake Jesus up and they say to him, don't you care about us? How could you be sleeping when we're all about to die? And on, everybody focuses on the fact that Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, peace be still. That's awesome. But more powerful than that statement, I believe, was the statement Jesus was making by snoring in the bottom of the boat while everybody else was freaking out. What statement was Jesus making? I believe it was make, he was making this one. Hey, God is with us. God's got this. When I said, let's go to the other side, it's because God was leading us there. It's okay. It's entirely possible to be able to rest in the midst of huge storms in life. Jesus was modeling what real peace looks like. The devil would love nothing more than to get you all riled up, all freaked out, and convince you that you can't have peace because the storm is too big to have that kind of peace. Listen to me closely. Your God is bigger than every one of your storms, which means the peace he gives will work in every one of them. His peace in your storm. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know your God, and I know the peace that he gives We're called as Christ followers to walk in his peace, especially in the midst of the worst storms. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.